Happy Friday, New York Met baseball fans. How are we all doing? Glad you could check in. Looks like it's going to turn out to be a nice day here in the New York metropolitan area. Temperature in the 70s. And uh, the season goes on for the Mets. We're down to a final few games. Looks like 10 games left. They're all going to be interesting. Uh, every game's unique. Every game is different. And as I always like to say... You got to play the game because you just never know. You never know what's going to happen in baseball. And uh, we could have history made on any given day. The one history I know is not going to be made is the Mets winning the pennant this year. But that's okay. Now, as always, as you can see, I always have a different hat on. Let me explain this hat on. For you podcasters out there, since we do a simulcast to this uh, broadcast. It's the uh, Father's Day hat from a few years ago. Now, blue was always used on Father's Day for the Mets and baseball. Uh, to show battles against cancer for the... I think it's against cancer. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. But every Father's Day, they wear a special ensemble where blue is the theme and... Uh, this is the hat that went along with a jersey. It actually just had the Mets logo in blue, uh, the Mets transcript in blue, and the pinstripes in blue. And uh, I like this hat. I, I I wear it quite often, actually. It's uh, one of my favorites. And uh, the t-shirt of the day is uh, a, basically a bootleg shirt from the Shea Goodbye era in 2008. And in the back, I think there's a... Uh, I can't even see when I turn around, but... There's all kind of characters and pictures of uh, prominent Shea figures from the past. So that's it for you fashion police out there. I like to do that. You guys seem to be enjoying that. Uh, there was no game yesterday to talk about. So I figured this was once again to go over some of the five huge off-season decisions that our beloved Metropolitans must make this year. Now, the front office could be reshaped, and the manager could be replaced. Well, I can almost guarantee you the front office will be reshaped. And I can almost guarantee you, well, I'm not going to guarantee it, because you never know. Whoever they bring in may actually like Louis Rojas for whatever reason. I think he's disappointed in clutch moments, and he's melted when it came down to clutch decision-making this year. But what do I know? He could be the personality they want for the clubhouse this year. Uh, that remains to be seen. But had the Mets found themselves in the playoffs following their August collapse and a brief late season surge that restored some hope for the last few weeks, some of the fishings that led to their demise might have been swept under the rug a bit. But because we're not going to be in the playoffs, it does come to the forefront and they must be addressed. So once again, Mets fans, you don't have to dish out that money. You know, the... I'm a season ticket holder. You know that the playoff package was almost as expensive as the regular season package? Playoffs are a hot tip. Well, it really becomes expensive when they get to the World Series. 
So the postseason to make to make a how can I tie this up and get to the point? When you don't make the postseason, it costs your team big bucks. I know they split a lot with the players and MLB. But all the merchandising and everything that goes along with it uh, is lost when you don't make the playoffs. So once again, there will not be an offseason. I'm sure the Mets would have liked, especially Steve Cohen, because he's only worth about $9 zillion. He would have liked a little more extra cash in his pockets. So uh, it's been basically a season of turmoil once again and underperformance on the field. And there will be some huge decisions to make. Now, I think the biggest one and most important one, without a doubt, is how will the off-season reshape the front office? The Mets will attempt to do what they couldn't do last off-season and find a new head of baseball operations. I think they're actually approaching the end of the season with that being a goal of theirs, and it's time to get the job done. Now, there's a lot of legitimate candidates for the position. And the process could again be hampered depending on how willing some teams are allowing executives to be interviewed. But the expectation is the Mets will find a new top baseball executive, which will allow Sandy Alderson, if he remains, and I think they're going to keep him in for the transition for one more year, to do the non-baseball role he was initially hired for. Now the GM position is up in the air with acting GM Zach Scott having been placed on administrative leave following his arrest on DUI charges. And I think that DUI charge actually sealed his fate. And it's fair to believe that the new president of baseball operations will want to choose his or her general manager. So who will it be? And what does this mean for our friend Louis Rojas? Louis Rojas, when uh, when you discuss modern managers, it's always important to understand that their responsibilities go well beyond what happens on the field. And for Rojas, he has aced the job when it comes to being the Daily public faces the Mets in front of the media. And these days, that's a key thing. You don't want anyone to be a poor representative of the Mets front office as manager. Uh, he's very communicative with the players. He's accountable, being calm in the face of adversity. You never really see him lose his cool in front of the cameras. Maybe on the field a little bit. Uh, but he is also thoughtful in his explanations. And he listens to the questions and everything. So it's almost like the manager is becoming a figurehead in baseball these days. So as far as the on-field component, well, it is big. I mean, back in the day, that's the only reason why you were a manager. They didn't hire Billy Martin or Earl Weaver for their off-field grace. Uh, and that's where Rojas really stumbled a bit late in the season. And uh, he was solid most of the year. Now, those stumbles included a string of late-game moves, some involving pitching changes and pitch-hitting decisions that either backfired or made little sense, and some odd after-the-fact reasoning that went along with them. While the front office is reshaped above him, the call on Rojas's Met future will be an interesting one. Now, as we know, there's a lot of decisions made as far as personnel that's going to happen this year. What is going to happen this year? A lot of qualifying offers can be made. And I think two of the qualifying offers, if I were the Met front office, I would make is uh, to Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. Now, they have the option to walk, but are candidates for the one-year qualifying offer worth roughly $20 million. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if they're going to get outside contracts worth more than $20 million a year at this point, based on Conforto's horrible year this year and Syndergaard's questionable health. And let's face it, Syndergaard really hasn't had a good year since 2018. Even 2019, when he was healthy, he had an ERA over four that year. 
So are we paying uh, Noah Syndergaard like the Blues Brothers on a wish sandwich type of deal where we wish he does what he did from 2015 to 2018? I wouldn't take that chance. I would give him the qualifying offer. Will they? I think they will. Should they? I think they should. A one-year deal is nothing. You're not going to lose a lot by offering a one-year deal. And you offer the qualifying offer and they don't accept, you get a number one draft pick along the way. Uh, so I think it's a no-brainer for them to extend the qualifying offer to both of them. I wonder how you guys feel. Now, in the case of uh, Syndergaard, it would be a bit of a shock if he rejected the qualifying offer. He's a guy who loves the challenge, and I, I'm not sure if pe people are going to sign him to a long-term deal. And his presence in 2022 could be a game-changer. could be that energy boost that the Mets need overall. And uh, the situation with Conforto, who the Mets had interest in extending before the season, isn't as cut as dry. Cut and dry, I should say. Given the strength of free agent class of position players, it wouldn't be a total shock after even his uneven season if he accepted a qualifying offer as well and hit the market again in a year. But I bet on Conforto rejecting it. I think Boris is his uh, agent, so you know how Scott Boris is. He's not going to jump right away into that. And let's whoever thought that Jacob DeGrom would be a big question mark. And let's face it. Uh, Jacob throws the ball too damn hard, I think. I've been saying this all year on the podcast. That Jacob just throws the ball too damn hard. I knew the way he was built. Sooner or later, something's going to give when you're throwing every pitch over 100 miles an hour. Uh, but here's the facts. His 2021 season was on track to be one of the most dominant pitching seasons in the history of baseball. And that was derailed because of injury. Now, DeGrom suffered a setback when initially trying to return and was shut down. While DeGrom and the Mets are saying his UCLA is not UCLA, UCLA, hey, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, no, UCLA, I should be, US, UCL, it's Friday, forgive me. His UCLA, UCL is not compromised, will be possible to know how healthy he will be in 2022 until he is out there pitching every fifth day. So I don't think the Mets are going to extend a, a contract extension to Grom. It's almost like he's going to have to prove himself next year to get that extension. So with Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman free agents with no ace-level pitching prospects close to the majors, and that's not the Mets we know. We got good position players in, in the works, but we don't have pitching, and that's very unmet-like. The last thing the Mets needed was a giant question mark surrounding the Grom, but that's what they had. They have right now, and one step towards shoring up the rotation would be extending the qualifying wall for the Syndergaard, and another would be re-signing Stroman. I think Stroman's almost a, a guarantee. He's just been so good. He's consistent year after year. And I think a five-year deal, maybe $120 million, I think that would be just great for Stroman. I think he kind of likes pitching for the Mets. And as the Mets were, head towards 2022 with the Grom's health still in question, the team intent on competing for a championship, how they fill out the rotation will be among the biggest things to watch. Now, like I said, when this trade was made with, with Javier Baez, you don't go out and get Javier Baez and give up Pete Crow Armstrong who was the number one pick for the Mets one year and the fourth pick overall if you're not going to re-sign Baez. And Baez has proven his doubters wrong this year. Now, the Mets offense heading into the offseason is unsettled. And there's a chance there will be lots of turnover and some new faces in the starting lineup come 2022. Should Baez be brought back? I say hell yeah. The New York offense as a whole was putrid in 2021, and the issues the team had with runners in scoring position were glaring. 
And while a hitter like Baez with so much swing and miss in his game is not an ideal fit for a lineup that has trouble with situational hitting, it can be argued that he is a strong fit overall for what the team needs, especially if they reshape the offense elsewhere, and especially if Baez's new play discipline is something he can sustain. Uh, now, I didn't see Baez that often with the Cubs, but from what I'm hearing, he's really become a lot more disciplined at the plate as a New York Met, and that's a good thing. Now, specifically, what Baez will cost you with his strikeout tendencies can be made up for with his power. I mean, he has lethal power. You look at him, you don't think he could hit a ball that high and that far and that hard. And he has speed, he has base running ability and defense, and let's face it, he thrives on... Uh, Taking that gamble out there and mixing things up in the baseball pass. And uh, I love it. Uh, I think he's the type of guy that can electrify a ball club. He reminds me a little bit of Jose Reyes, but more of a gambling Jose Reyes. And let's face it, he's in his prime right now. Baez will be entering his age 29 season in 2022. Now, there will be other options on the market, including Chris Bryant. I think we've got a taste of what Baez can do in New York. I think he will fit in. And I just can't help picture Baez and Lindor's double play combo for the next five, maybe even more years than that. Uh was wondering what you guys had to think about that. Now, there is some good news on uh, alumni front. Uh, if you've been following the, the story... Daryl Strawberry's granddaughter, Melissa Reed, was found. Uh, and she was found safe. Uh, and Daryl was out there on Instagram, Facebook, pleading for her to be returned safely. Uh, the Mets and Yankees slugger, I like to call him the Mets slugger, asked his 66 followers to help track down his missing 14-year-old granddaughter, Melissa Reed, who was last seen on Wednesday. Strawberry posted, this is our granddaughter, Myelissa, who was missing on the right. And uh, let's see if I have a picture queued up here. She is here. There you go. There's Melissa. And it's good she's back in the fold. Uh, Strawberry's post said the teen was last seen early Wednesday and advised anyone with information to contact police in Henderson, which is outside of Las Vegas. One of Strawberry's five children, Diamond Strawberry, who appeared on VH1 season Five of Love and Hip Hop New York later shared the good news on her account fate Thursday, late Thursday, I should say, that Melissa was okay. She told her 279,000 followers, Melissa was found safe. Thank you, everyone, for helping me find my baby. Couldn't have done it without you. I am forever grateful. All the report and attention that was brought is the reason my baby is home. Now, Daryl Strawberry had previously called on her followers to share her original Instagram post, which also says has since been removed with description of her daughter, TMZ reported. Now, Strawman, always one of my favorites, uh, was an eight-time All-Star and four-time World Series champ who played eight years with the Mets before rejoining the Dodgers, Giants, and wrapping up his career with the New York Yankees. He finished with 335 home runs and 1,000 RBIs and was inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame in 2010. Uh, some people actually say maybe the Strawman's number should be retired by the Mets. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I think the legacy of Strawberry and Gooden are kind of tarnished because of what happened while they were Mets. And uh, Strawberry and Gooden really could have been something special. And they were still special in Met history. So not taking away their accomplishments at all. But the big news is his daughter, his granddaughter is safe 
And that is a good thing. Uh, another good thing was, I don't know if you guys have been following this story about the Mets 9-11 alumni from 2011, but again, 20 years later, they're chipping into the cause. They were back in Queens uh, Thursday, 20 years after the amazing hosted the Big Apple's first game since the terrorist attacks changed the city forever. Former manager Bobby Valentine and some of his old squad came to City Field for the 20th annual gala Tuesday's Children, a nonprofit that helps 9-11 families and other groups affected by terrorism and military conflict. The event came shortly after the 20th anniversary of the historic 921-01 game against the Atlanta Braves, which took place at City Field's predecessor, Shea Stadium. Now, remember that game, Hall of Fame catcher Mike Piazza belted a go-ahead home run in the bottom of the eighth inning against the rival Braves, giving the grieving crowd something to celebrate. And Valentine, to this day, says that game was bigger than baseball. It was about bringing everyone together to help us heal, Valentine said. It was like putting a small bandage on a large wound. Valentine went on to say, We promised that night to be there for the children of those who lost their loved ones on 9-11. 20 years later, we will never forget and will always be there for you. I am so proud that the 2001 men's players who have continued to stand with Tuesday's Children's Day and help others who have been impacted by terrorism. Also taking part in the gown, besides Bobby Valentine, Met Staples, Edgardo Alfonso, John Franco, Al Leiter, and Todd Zeal, guys who always step up to plate for the Mets. Now, 9-11 family members included Met Media Relations Associate Rob Schratt, whose dad, John Schratt, died in the 2001 attacks as a member of the FDNY. Now, Tuesday's Children says it has provided support to 42,000 people impacted by terrorism and mass violence in the last two decades, including 3,051 children who lost a parent on 9-11. And that is always, always good to see. Uh, when I hear stories like that from the Mets and their organization, I can't feel proud not to be a Met fan. So uh, great job, guys, stepping up to the plate. Now, who else is stepping up to the plate for the Mets? Well, how about Jaris Familia? Yes, Jaris Wants to stay as a Met, and that's what you want to see. You want to see who, a guy who continues to want to wear the orange and blue. Now, he thought his Met career was finished when he got traded three years ago, so he isn't prepared to say it's definitely concluding with the next 10 days. But the veteran waiver set to hit free agency for the second time also understands the team might not consider him as part of the 2022 equation, and his value could be higher elsewhere. Familia has said, I like it here, I love it here. This is the team that gave me an opportunity to see my dream come true. This is a business, and anywhere I go, I'm going to do my best. Now, Jarese is getting up there in age. Uh, that we cannot deny. He is now uh, 32 years old. So, you know, when you get to that, you don't want to make long-term commitments. And that, this season... Uh, he emerged in 2012, so he's he's been a... a met disciple for almost 10 years now and that season included uh familiar blowing three saves in the 2015 world series well when, when he became the closer three years later after joining the club in 2012 and familiar like i said he blew three saves in that world series against the royals and then sometimes that can make a pitcher explode and never be the same again for the team uh and most notably he was throwing a quick pitch at alex gordon blasted for a tying homer in ninth of the Mets loss in game one. Oh, if we could ever get that one back. But in 2016, he bounced back pretty damn strong. 
He uh, set a franchise record with 51 saves. But with the team removed from contention two years later, he was dealt to Oakland at the trade deadline. His return to the organization came the following winter when the Mets under former general manager Brody Van Wagenen gave him a three-year contract worth $30 million. That's a big bucko's contract to be a setup man for Edwin Diaz. And over the life of that contract, familiar, let's face it, he pitched to mixed results. Uh, this season, he's 9-4 with 3.79 ERA and a 1.40 whip in 62 appearances. So uh, Ace, he's not a setup man. He's not. But he is a re dependable reliever. I just don't, not sure what kind of money he's going to be looking for and what kind of Mets are going to be offering. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and let's face it, it's not like he's been lights out all year. It's been a series of ups and downs for Familia this year. But he does work hard, and I feel he does want to be a Met. Uh, but let's face it, with Diaz, Seth Lugo, and Trevor May among the Mets relievers under club control or signed to next season, it would be a bit surprising if the team didn't make a push to sign lefty Aaron Loop, who basically has probably been the best reliever on the Mets with a 1.0 ERA. And whether Familia fits after all this is said and done, we'll be left to remember whoever the Mets hire as a president of baseball operations. Now, pitching coach Jeremy Hefner, who was Familia's teammate in 2012 and 2013, said he admires the transition the right fielders made from all-star closer versatile bullpen piece. I think given where he was and especially what he's done for this organization, he had 51 saves that one year to not be the closer and take the ball when he's asked, whether it be an up two game or down five game or up six game, he always says yes. So that is true. Familiar pitches, no matter what the circumstances and Let's face it, he was the best closer at one point for the Mets in 2016. And to take the ball now and do the job, I think it speaks a lot about Familia, that he's the type of guy who can accept any role with the Mets, and that's the type of guy you want on your team. Uh, and from what I'm hearing, he's also been a sounding board for Edwin Diaz. And let's face it, Diaz has a little bit of Familia in him too because he weathers the inconsistencies, and he's Diaz has had his ups and downs in the last three years as a Met. So they kind of feed off of each other. So who knows? You never know. And that's the beauty of this offseason. And we'll be talking about this stuff all offseason. Good stuff coming up. And asked how he would like to be remembered with the Mets if his time with the organization is about to finish. Familia said, from the team, everybody knows how hard I work. And I am not going to say how they are going to remember me. Because I know how hard I work and how serious I take my job. I think my name is going to be remembered for some guys here. Anywhere I go, I will be okay. I want to be here, but this is part of the game, you know. And uh, I would like to see him stay. Now, the bigger question for the Mets is, who's going to be the Mets general manager? Who's going to be running the show next year? And I think due to the uh, Sandy Alderson equation and all this, I think it may very well be Billy Bean if they can work something out financially. And uh, I think that's the guy that they should go after. I don't know how you guys think about it, but I think Billy Bean, who has done wonders with Moneyball in Oakland, if he actually has a bigger payroll to work with and can build for a longer-term future, I think Billy may be the answer. I don't know how you guys think about that, but Billy, to me, is the man. He is the man. Uh... 
his track record. 20 years he's been doing this strong. Like I said, Steve Cohen faces the most important decision of his med ownership, quite possibly the defining one in the coming month or so when he lands on who will run his baseball operations. So I personally would pick Bean over Epstein. I'm not sure who you would choose. Uh, but we hear there's uh, no whining about Bean's not working in the playoffs because these Mets, you haven't noticed, are not very good at making the playoffs. So uh, being someone who makes the playoffs every year isn't a criteria, but the way Bean can actually develop a roster out of basically nothing and mold it into what he wants it to be is something the Mets may want to look at. Just have a style of play that fits the Mets style, sort of like Cardinal baseball, Dodger baseball, the Cardinals way. Uh, just do it and let's build a system that other teams are going to be damn proud of. Now, it probably won't be easier to get Bean because he is a consultant for Major League Baseball. And uh, Billy Bean is just an executive as vice president of baseball ops with the A's. But what the Mets can do is trade one of those assets I've seen before where you trade a player or whatever or future considerations for a general manager. So let's do this. Let's do this. In 21 prior campaigns, Bean's A's have made the postseason 11 times on a payroll that is horrible. And every year he's had to work something. Each season has been played on a shoestring budget. And the 2021 A's uh, have a payroll of about $89 million and they're still in the hunt for a wild card. So that stands as half of what the $199 million Cohen has allocated for the Mets. Now, Bean has displayed a unique knack for building a winner, tearing it down and constructing another strong group. His A's experience has a five-year October gap between 2006 and 2012 successes, then shortened that to three years between 2014 and 2018. It's true that because of the fact that he was successful with the Moneyball thing and you know, his popularity blossom he probably did get some more freedoms and free reign as an Oakland A general manager and he nearly left baseball for soccer last year until merger talks with his Red Bull acquisition corp and the Red Sox Fenway sports group fell apart yet his chosen general manager David Frost performed excellent work keeping the A's relevant in the way baseball teams get run nowadays it'll be vital for Bean to select another GM no matter how much he curtails or doesn't his outside activities. Here's an easy recommendation. A's assistant GM director of player personnel, Billy Owens, who interviewed for the Mets GM opening last winter, and unlike the two people the Mets hired over him, still holds his job, which he started with the season. And that's not all. Whether or not you think uh, Samuel Olson should stay after an extremely rough start to his Mets sequel, he's staying, and Bean and Anderson are extremely close. Protégé and mentor, if you will, having worked together for multiple times in uh, Oakland. Ironically, the strongest bond between Alderson and Epstein might be that they both gave jobs to Jared Porter and Zach Scott. Uh-oh, maybe we don't want to hear that, do we, Met fans? But, uh, yeesh, that is the case. <laughs> but let's not hold that against him, shall we? Uh, I still say that he is worth the gamble. Uh... Now, how much would appealing would Bean become if he were? 
to bring A's manager Bob Melvin with him. Melvin loves New York also, and he was one of those guys the Mets at one time were considered to be manager. And uh, that would also require compensation. He ranks among the best at what he does, bringing profound competence to the field, the clubhouse, and the fans via press conferences. Alderson's first managerial search for the Mets came down at Terry Collins and Melvin. So there you have it. Uh, and I think Billy Bean would work well with Steve Cohen. I don't think anything would fluster Billy Bean at this point in his career. Uh, and Billy Bean even said, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. My job is to get us to playoffs. What happens after that is fucking luck. There's a good amount of truth to that. Common sense says that doubling the budget and then some can only help with his luck. And I agree wholeheartedly. Now, there's a belief within the industry that being a long-term, term, long-time California resident is really open to coming to the East. If so, you should believe in Bean, no matter what he's still trying to win the last game of the season. Wouldn't meeting that goal at City Field be one hell of an inning? Yes, the Mets having the last game of the regular season, that's relevant. I'm all for it. I hope you're all for it. And, uh... What other baseball notes that we have? Now, I'm not even aware of this, but I'll throw that out there to you. Uh, Ricky Meinhold, the Mets assistant pitching coach, minor league coordinator, leaves the team for other opportunities, according to Mets sources. So I uh, wish him well. To be honest with you, I didn't know too much about him, but I thought I'd pass that little footnote along. Now, today in Med history, we have some birthdays to celebrate. Hubie Brooks. Wasn't on ESPN they used to call him Hubie Babbling Brooks? Well, anyway... Hubie was a damn good player. I think he's very, very underrated for his career. Uh, he had a good one with the Mets, 654 games. He batted 267, uh, slugged uh, 44 homers with 269 RBIs, but really blossomed with the Expos, and he almost had MVP-like years with the Expos. Always one of my favorites. And check out the three numbers he wore at one time as a Mets, 62, 39, and 7. That sounds like bingo numbers. Uh, who else is having a birthday today? How about Bernard Gilkey? Now, what's Bernard Gilkey's Met claim to fame? He established a Met season record for doubles in 1996 with 44. And he tied the season record of 117 runs batted in 1996. Now, that was previously set by Howard Johnson in 91. But guess who broke it? Yes, Mike Piazza with 124 in 1999. Happy birthday to Bernard Gilkey. And happy birthday to uh, Hunter Strickland. He, yes, he was with us in that COVID year of 2020. He pitched four games and had an ERA at 8.10, 3.1 innings pitched. He signed his free agent, and then he went back to Tampa Bay during the offseason. Who else is celebrating a birthday? Drew Smith. Yes, happy birthday, Drew. Maybe you'll get to pitch today. Uh, number 62. He's been with us now since he was with us in 18, came back in 20, and then 21. Altogether, 66 games pitched. Let's uh, focus on his numbers this year. Uh, 3-1 and one with a 2.40 ERA. He has pitched well. No saves. He's basically a setup man. But happy birthday to Drew Smith. Uh, Bruce Barron's is Bernard went to Boston or was it Husky? I think it was Husky, but let's do a quick check on that. Uh, where did he go? Um... Bernard Gilkey, after the Mets, 
He was traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Nelson Let's Get Figgy With It Figueroa in exchange for Orgy Fabregas and Willie Blair. So it might very well be Butch Husky, but I'm not even sure on that. Bruce, uh, give us something to look forward to after the broadcast. I do a little research on that. I thank you for asking. Uh, but let's put our time caps on. Let's go back to 1969 when the amazing Mets clinched the National League Eastern title. Those were good days indeed. Uh, and basically, it made the Mets respectable in the baseball world. Uh, you want to talk about it? That big day? It was Wednesday, September 24, 1969. And if you're a diehard Mets fan, you'll even know the time. It was 9.06 on this historic night. The amazing Mets clinched their first NL Eastern Divisional title. Now, in their eighth year of existence, after finishing last five times, the Mets were champions of their Eastern Division. They were the first champions of the newly formed National League Eastern Division since divisional play was in its first year in 1969. The Mets and their fans were rubbed up tonight as Shea Stadium was jumping with 54,928 fans, anticipating the amazing feat the young Mets were about to accomplish. Now, the Mets, 96-61, hosted last year's NL champions, the Cardinals, who were a damn good ball club themselves, and they came in with a record of 82-74. and Now, Gil Hodges sent out his fine young rookie, Gary Gentry, whose record at the time was 11-12, to the mound going up against future Hall of Famer Steve Carlin, 12-11. What a great matchup. Two hard-throwing pitchers. Now, two weeks earlier, Carlin set a record with 19 strikeouts in the game, but was beaten by the Mets 2-0, on Rocky Ron Swoboda's home runs. Two home runs that day. Uh, here's the lineup. And like I said, that Cardinal lineup was awesome. Lou Brock leading off, playing left field. Kurt Flood, center field, batting second. Veda Pinson, right field, batting third. Joe Torre, first base, batting fourth. Timmy McCarver, catching, batting fifth. Mike Shannon, playing third, batting sixth. Julian Javier, playing second base, batting seventh. Dal Maxfield, playing shortstop, batting eighth. And one of the best left-handers of all time, Steve Carlton, pitching and batting ninth. For our beloved Metropolitans, we had Bud Harrelson leading off, playing shortstop. Tommy Agee playing center field, batting second. Cleon Jones batting third, playing left field. Don Clendenin, first base, batting fourth. Ron Sobota, right field, batting fifth. Eddie the Glider Charles batting sixth and playing third. Jerry Grody, the secretary of defense behind the plate, catching, batting seventh. Al Weiss playing second base. Batting eighth, and Gary Gentry pitching batting ninth. Now tonight, Gentry went out and pitched a four-hit complete game shutout, striking out five cards and walking two. It was Gentry's third shutout of the year as he went from twelve to twelve, twelve and twelve. He went to twelve and twelve. Time at Boston, and now he had a three point five three ERA on the season. Now the Mets knocked lefty Carlton out in the first inning as the Met offense went right to work. Buddy Harrelson led the game off with a walk and Tommy Agee single. Then the Mets slugger Don Clendenin, boom, blasted a three-run homer, bringing the fans to their feet in a loud roar. Now the dugout jumped up and came on the field to greet a happy Clendenin on his 15th homer of the year, his 34th RBI since joining the Mets on June 15th. It was the first of two blasts for Big Don on the night. Ron Soboda drew a walk. Ed Charles the Glider, the oldest player on the team, his low trivia fact for you on the 69 Mets, he was 36. He joined in on the festivities by hitting just his third home run of the year. The glider clapped his hands as he rounded third base. He later told the press, 
Just to let the fans know this was it, because at my age, I may not have any more left. At least he was being honest. You gotta love the glider. And he began, he followed his career working for the Met organization for quite some time. He was well-liked by the Mets. And Clendenin added a 16th homer, his 12th as a Met in the 5th inning. Now in the ninth inning, Lou Brock led off with a base hit and Vic Davileo followed with another. Gentry then struck out Veda Pinson for the first out. Then it was the cards. Joe Torre, who didn't double play, Bud Harrelson to Al Weiss to Don Clendenin to end the game, and all hell broke loose. The Met, player, the Met players all ran to the mound area and jumped for joy to celebrate with each other. Within seconds, confetti streamed down from the stands. Firecrackers went off. The Met fans swarmed the field, turning it into a chaotic frenzy. The players fled to the dugout, running for their lives. The fans ripped everything apart, making the outfield grass look like the surface of the moon. There was torn up clumps of dirt a foot or more deep, looking like craters of the recently landed moon. The Met fans chanted, we're number one, we're number one, and they were number one. Uh, the crowd refused to leave the ballpark until the police rounded everyone up hours later, exiting them through the center field gates. Several arrests were made, but few injuries were reported. Mets VP in charge of Safe Stadium said, we'll have to get it back in shape for the playoffs. Fortunately, the club is going on the road, and we have more than a week. It's a mess, a wonderful mess. You don't do that anymore these days. <laughs> They'll have horses and cops all over the outfield when the game ends. But in the clubhouse, the amazing Mets celebrated with champagne. Tom Seaver doused the smiling manager, Gil Hodges. Here's to you, Skip. Jerry Kuzman shook the bottle and sprayed the press. A usually low-key Nolan Ryan poured some bubbly over chairman of the board M. Donald Grant's head. At Creampool, an original Met from 62 shouted, Here's to you, Leo. The reference was to Chicago Cubs manager Leo DeRocher, whose team had held on to first place for much most of the season, and they were rivals, the Mets and the Cubs. There was some heated exchanges on the field between those two in 69, the Mets and the Cubs. Now, Cranepool had dental surgery the day before and had a swollen jaw and said, screw the jaw, I've waited too long for this. Some of the players raised their bottles and remembered Casey Stengel saying, here's to Casey, and that was a nice tribute to Casey. He was there at the beginning. Now, the Mets were in the midst of a nine-game win streak to take them toward the end of the season. They were now 96-61 and 61 and six games up on the Cubs with five left to play in the regular season. On October 2nd, they would win their 100th game of the season. And if you're a betting man, you cleaned up on the Mets in 69 because at the beginning of the season, they were 100-1 to 1 odds to win the World Series. So what a year for the Mets. What a year. And... Uh, it's one that even if you're not a Met fan, you love and worship. Uh, and yes, Bruce, it was against the Cardinals, as I mentioned in the lineup. And you're right, Bruce. Key Charles work, Charles and Clendenin. I think Clendenin more so. They say he was the missing piece because he was acquired uh, before the summer started. And he was the missing piece for the Mets that year. So you nailed that one, Bruce. When don't you nail it? Anyway... Uh, what else happened on this date in Met history? Uh, let's see. On this date, just a year prior, manager Gil Hodges, during a game against the Braves in Atlanta, suffers a mild heart attack. The New York skipper, who will die of a massive coronary in 1972, is hospitalized until October 20th when doctors give him a clean bill of health, but warned him about the continued risk of stress and smoking. And I think that can apply to everybody. Got to be careful. Got to take care of yourselves. Uh, 
and Gil was a beloved figure. So those are two big things that happened on this date in uh, Met history. Uh, was there anything else I wanted to mention? Oh, yeah, in 1975, Tom Seaver won the Andrews the third time's a charm. Isn't always true when he loses his bid for a third no-hitter, uh, his, his third attempt at a no-hitter in the ninth inning for the third time in his career. After striking out Don Kessinger and Rick Monday, rookie outfielder Joe Wallace, I think his name was Tarzan, was playing in his 15th career game in single to right field for a Cubs' first hit off the Mets starter in the Wrigley Field Contest. Now about this day in 2011, let's... Brush off our cobwebs. Who remembers Dylan G? Well, on this day in 2011, Dylan G becomes the first Met rookie to win 13 games in a season in 27 years when New York defeats Washington 6-3 in 1984. Dwight Gooden compiled a 17-9 record as a freshman in 31 starts for that team. So those are some of the good things that happened uh, on this day in Met history. And as always, we have great stuff going on in the group every day. If you're not a member, please do join. If you're a Facebook user, please join New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. We'd love to have you. Great stuff is discussed there every day. And I also run another baseball group, and occasionally I'll do a YouTube cast podcast for that. It's called Baseball Way of Life. Please join that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please, please, please subscribe. That way you'll be updated every time one is about to uh, come on, and everything is archived there. And please like it and subscribe. And if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. And what else? I do have this uh, New York Mets Baseball Wild Life as a podcast. And it's on all your podcast carriers, so search it out. It's New York Mets Baseball Wild Life. Would be glad if you did one or all of the options I mentioned. It would really make my day. So please do that. Make my day. Like Quinn Eastwood said, make my day. Well, yesterday's Met question of the day was, which player is more important to the Met's future? Jeff McNeil or Dom Smith? We had some good answers. Our beloved Harvey Porras says, neither one of them. Get rid of both. Ouch. But I can understand where Harvey's coming from. They've been disappointing, and sometimes you just have to move, move on. But my personal belief is uh, he is just too good. Just too damn good, Jeff McNeil. So we can't afford to lose him at all. But that's just me. What, am I, what, what can you say? That's just me when it comes to Jeff McNeil. Uh, am I back in there? Yeah. I think I knocked myself out for some. Here I am. Oh, my God, am I ugly. Anyway, here we go. Uh, Jason Lynn says, can't keep both. I believe Dom is more the player he's been this year than the all-star player in 2020. McNeil is probably worth rolling the dice on next year to be bounce back. I'm not opposed to giving him another year. And I agree with Jason on that. Dan Wiener is a big fan of Dom. He says, how do you unload a lefty that hits lefties well? Uh, Ron Davis says, both of you got a good hitting coach. Both of you get a good hitting coach. Uh, Marty Rose says, I believe Dom, because with the DH coming, he can spell Peter first. If they say Baez, McNeil is expendable. Uh, I would agree somewhat with the DH coming, but don't forget, we have Robbie Cano next year. And then I said, uh, when I say Vince Coleman was the first thing that pops in your head, Ron Kaplan said he didn't know anything about Jackie Robinson. And I forgot about that. He didn't even know who Jackie Robinson was, and that's pretty sad. Don Ketko says 100 steals. And then we mentioned that uh, 
The Mets were saddened to learn about the passing of Vincent Piazza, father of Mike Piazza. Uh, those two are known for their famous bond, so condolences to the Piazza family on that. Uh, what else is going on in the world of the Metropolitans? We had a poll. If you could only keep one of the two for 2022, who are you keeping? Jeff McNeil or Dom Smith? 78% of you said Dom McNeil. And I said, when I say Trevor May, what is the first thing that pops in your head? Richard Rosas, free-run homer, LOL. I guess he has bad memories of Trevor this year. And Ron Davis said, middleman with good or bad results. Uh, and again, that's some of the good stuff we have. And if you're not a member of the group, please, 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 please join the frigging group. Uh, and uh, as we do every day, we ramble on and on and on. You guys are enjoying it. Thanks for all your feedback. But let's go to the trivia question and the Jeopardy question of the day. Uh, the trivia question is, who holds the Mets single season record for doubles? I actually gave you this answer during the YouTube cast, so if you're listening, you'll know it. And then today's Jeopardy uh, is two clues. In 2005, he was a backup catcher to Mike Piazza with 41 RBIs and 209 at-bats, a career-best 244 batting average, and he played solid defense. When Piazza became a free agent after the season, it looked like he might again get a chance to be a starter. The Mets traded him for Paul Aduca, who previously had replaced him in Florida. Okay, I'll give you a few seconds while I get some water here and refresh the vocal cords. And now who's ready for the answers? The trivia question again was, who holds the New York Mets single-season record for doubles? Well, the correct answer is Bernard Gilkey, who had 44 doubles in 1996. Congrats to our main man, Jason Lynch, on being the first to submit the correct answer. And our Jeopardy was in 2005, he was backup catcher to Mike Piazza with 41 RBIs and 209 at-bats, a career-best 244 batting average, and played solid defense. And when Mike Piazza became a free agent after the season, it looked like he might again get a chance to be a starter. The Mets traded for Paul Aduca, who previously had replaced him in Florida. Well, Jason Lynch knew the answer to this one, and I'm going to give you what the answer is. The correct response was, who is Ramon Castro? Thanks for playing, guys. As always, I hope you're enjoying these. I love giving them, just seeing how you guys are so smart when it comes to your Met knowledge. It really impresses me. Well, that's going to wrap up all we have to talk about today. Hopefully, we'll have good news to talk about tomorrow as the Mets head out to Milwaukee for a three-game series. Uh, Brewers are stacked. Uh, they're getting ready for the playoffs. They have a great pitching staff. Let's see how the Mets can do. We'll be throwing out Tyler McGill, who has struggled of late. I'm impressed with him, and you got to stick with him. I think he's a future arm for this team. to be a solid 3-4-5 starter for us. He has the stuff, and we didn't expect him to be up this early yet. So Tyler McGill with a record of 3-5 with a 4.57 ERA, 91 Ks goes tonight. Eric Lauer goes for the Brewers. He's 6-5 with a 3.03 ERA and 105 Ks. Should be a good one. Hopefully we'll be back to talk about this tomorrow with our happy recap, as Bob Murphy used to say. And uh, it will be fun. It will be fun to talk about it. And again, thank you for all your support, all your feedback. 
I love the fact you guys are listening on the podcast, on the YouTube cast, on Baseball Wildlife, New York Mets Baseball Wildlife. It means the that most to me. And please subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast. You guys are the best. And don't forget to join the group, the New York Mets Baseball Wildlife. Until tomorrow when we talk again, have a great day. Let's go Mets. Whether you're a Mets fan or not, you're a baseball fan, and that's what counts. And like I said, we'll be doing some uh, general baseball YouTube casts. And once we get a topic that's really hot in our group, I'll come on and discuss it. So enjoy your day, enjoy the weekend, and we will talk soon. God bless you.